Underway this hour on Flames Talk. Steinberg and Vickers, and welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key to like system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit CalgaryLockandSafe.com. Hi, Vixie. Hello, Patrick. Uh, we're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Let's kick off this hour by going inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. The beer tastes better when it's bought from the place that cheers for your team. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. It's Friday, which means inside hockey is Eric Francis Friday. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline right now. Hello, franchise. Good afternoon, boys. How are you? Uh, Very well. How are you? Oh, my God. Life is good. Golf all week. This weather, amazing. Uh, Just, yeah, uh, life couldn't be better. There's nothing better than a barbecue going on while you got a hockey game on in the background. The weather's great. You're in the yard. You're with friends. Oh, my God. Uh, I gotta go, boys. I gotta go. I gotta nah. go. I gotta get back to the party. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I didn't. Did did the email bounce back? I didn't get the invite. The text message didn't come through. Lost cell service. What's what's the scoop? Oh, that's weird. Your service is down, eh? That's weird. Uh, I'll, I'll, see, I'll see Steinberg in a little bit, I guess. But oh yeah. <laughs> I, no! I, I, I got the message. <laughs> My, my, but you know what? I'm on Rogers. You're probably not on Rogers. <laughs> Great sales pitch. Oh, absolutely. Rogers Wireless. That was good. Yeah, um, well right done. now, I'm looking at my uh, 5G Plus service on my iPhone 12. Look I don't have that. Plus. Um, Mr. Francis, the last time you and I did Francis Fridays was one week ago. And things look very different one week later. The last time you and I were on a show together was your show Monday Following the news conference that uh, made it official, Daryl Sutter no longer head coach of the Calgary Flames. Here we are, a few days removed now. We've had some time to digest it. How do you digest the decision that ended up being made on Monday? Well, I thought your words, you used the word dark cloud, and I'm not sure those were your words, but that's just a a phrase you used to describe the last year. Uh, with Daryl Sutter running the organization. And uh, and I think that that dark cloud dissipated. Uh, and I know from talking to the odd player, texting back and forth with the odd player, I know talking to some agents, I know talking to people who are staffers, like it was a great day. And and, and again, that's not to dance on a man's grave. I mean, hey, uh, Daryl Sutter's still going to get paid handsomely to go back to the farm where he's, you know, probably happiest in this world. Um, but But, you know, just the way he ran things was not uh, was not pleasant for for most people in the organization so it was a good day it's the number one thing that's held this organization back over the last year it was the number one thing threatening to hurt this organization moving forward and they they nipped it in the bud now they did it two weeks too late and they could have saved the general manager's job had they acted a little more promptly but at the end of the day it might have just been brad throwing himself on the sword that made ownership realize just how severe an issue 
this was, how unfixable and untenable the situation was. So they move forward with a fresh, clean slate. And I think that at this point in time, it gives everybody, including fans, a chance to kind of exhale and say, okay, last year was a mess. There was a lot of things hanging over this organization. Now we move forward and we see what's in store for the new general manager, the new coach, and the new approach uh, that they will bring. And all of it is kind of refreshing. It's funny because I, I, I asked Vix this question last hour. I'll ask it to you and we can kind of kick it around. But, you know, you talked about how had they done this two weeks prior, maybe they could have saved Brad True Living as the general manager and maybe we wouldn't be talking about two figures, two key figures exiting the organization. And, and I don't know the answer to this question. I really don't. I just, I, it's been kicking around my head the last four or five days. Just even some of the conversations that you and I have had away from the microphones has has me kicking this around my twisted brain. But does does the Daryl Sutter decision happen? Do they undertake the review they did? And do they dig deep on Daryl's tenure here and his future if Tree doesn't walk away? I'm really curious about that. I don't know the answer. I ask it rhetorically in a lot of ways, but I wonder, like, do they get to the point where they were ready to make a coaching change if Brad Tree Living doesn't decide that his tenure with the team is done a few days after the season? Well, I'll go first. I, I still think they make the decision that they made based on, you know, how much credence they put in, you know, how, you know just how angry the players were and, and some of their agents. Uh, and that was, as we discussed on my show, how fascinating it is that they included agents and said that out loud. And and I think explaining why that's important. I mean, they hear the buzz around the entire league and they control the future of so many players. It is important that agents, um, yeah. you know, are kind of in the loop, I would say. Not always. It's very rare that we, we would ever acknowledge that they are. But, man, it, I think this was an important part of that. And uh, I still think that they would have got down to the nitty-gritty and figured this out. Um, but, you know, the fact that it took so long is just unfortunate. And, and I will always maintain that, uh, that Tree Living would still be here had they made a decision a couple of weeks earlier. But, again, uh, that was, you know, that was, that's the reality they're dealing with. I think um, – I, I just think that when everybody sat down, well, Maloney and ownership and such sat down, and just said, okay, here's some of the damage it's done in the past. Here's what threatens to happen moving forward. Several players being unhappy, several players wanting trades, and then, of course, the mass exodus that we're all expecting at the end of next season. All of that is made worse if you keep Daryl Sutter in the fold. You know, according, you know, so, I, so it's a fascinating discussion. I'm, I wonder what Vixie has to say about it. I didn't have both being gone on the bingo card. I I really thought, you know, going back a month ago, it'd be one or the other, but not necessarily yeah. both. And if you gave me the list of three scenarios, or even if you want to go four scenarios where both back, Daryl's back, but Brad's not, Brad's back, but Daryl's not, and then both of them gone, the both of them gone would have been my lowest probability on the entire score sheet because I did not see one of them stepping away or mutually agreeing to part and then the other one being fired shortly thereafter. But once we got through at least the media portion of the player interviews and some of the things we heard, it would only have been amplified in 
the actual management to player meetings, it got to a point where the Calgary Flames and President of Hockey Operations, Don Maloney, had to do the internal audit, had to do the intellectually honest investigation. And you're right, he he talked to everybody, players, other managers, other coaches, um, agents, as you mentioned, trainers. Like, this was not a superficial lip service, oh, we're going to investigate and then we're just going to wait a, you know, a period of time and then announce a firing. This was a full investigation involving all parties, both present and future, because once you bring the agents into it, you're basically investigating. Would you recommend any of your players to come to Calgary to play under Daryl Sutter? And I'm guessing a lot of those answers were, well, probably not right now. And eventually it just started to layer and layer and layer until the point where you had to make a coaching change. And I, I just want to interject there too. I, yeah. I think it's important to note that it's not common for like someone like Don Maloney to have been in those exit meetings. I want, I think that's important to note. Uh, Tree Living, I think, brought Don Maloney into those meetings yeah. knowing that he was leaving and wanted him to hear the problems and hear everybody just speak passionately, look them in the eye, and tell them how serious a situation they felt it was. Because generally speaking, an assistant general manager, and they all have different roles, but they're not privy to just how unhappy certain people are, just how, uh, how emotional it is for these guys. So this you talk about your bingo card and uh, you know, the one scenario I knew was going to happen and I had been talking about it for a long time was tree walking away, which nobody kind of really wanted to believe because it's just so hard to fathom that anybody walks away from a GM job in the national hockey league, unless there's crazy, crazy tension and stuff going on behind the scenes. So it's funny. My, my editor said to me, okay, well, when the flame season's over, we were gonna. I was gonna go to New York and just cover that series in Manhattan, New Jersey versus the Rangers. Two, two weeks in Manhattan, boy, there's not many better assignments than that. I said, guys, I love it. I would be all in, but there's gonna be some serious carnage in Calgary. And they're like, they're like, they said, my editor's like, what? What do you mean? Like, you think somebody's gonna lose their job? I said, it's gonna be carnage. I I don't know exactly what's gonna happen other than tree leaving, but I can tell you that there's gonna be carnage, and it's been much more carnage than I would have thought. So I'm with you, Vixie. I never would have pictured both of them gone at the same time. I thought it was going to be uh, uh, a war, and whoever won continued on. Kind of even going down the stretch, it's Francis Fridays, Eric Francis, Sportsnet, Sportsnet.ca with us, Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg on this hour of Flames Talk. I, I, I was kind of the same way. Like as, as we were going down the stretch and it became apparent that the possibility of the Flames missing the playoffs was – a large one and, and not just a negligent one, you kind of got the sense that, yeah, because I was asked on our post game show by plenty of callers or plenty of texters. Like, do you think that both these guys will be back next year? And my answer continued to be, no, I don't. I think one of them will be gone, but for both of them to exit the organization exactly two weeks apart. No, I didn't see that coming either. Mm -hmm. And, and it turns it into and again, I didn't think that we would ever be able to top last summer because I thought last summer was a once in a lifetime or, or once in a decade type of, of summer that you cover in, in the NHL, whether it's the league or the team that you cover. I didn't think the Flames could top last summer. And yet here we are. We're just over three weeks into the offseason. They've already uh, said goodbye to a GM. They fired a coach. And not just any GM and coach, the GM of nine years and one of the most beloved coaches in franchise history. They've got two major hires now they've got to make. 
and they've got some significant player personnel decisions to make. So when it's all said and done, Francis, we could be doing Francis Fridays in September and October talking about maybe the craziest offseason we've ever seen, which I never thought that we would see, let alone the following year after 2022. And yet we may go into the fall with a very, very similar team to the one that finished the season out of the playoffs this year, right? I mean, that's they, they keep paying lip service to the fact that they, you know, Don Maloney keeps saying, you know, I think we're a damn good hockey team and just a few little moves around the edges here. And I think we could get back to being a contender in this division. And I'm one of the people, and I kind of feel like I'm starting to become like minority in this. Like I'm one of the people who think that you can bring back a very similar team to next year. And this team would be very good. And I, and I don't think that that would be a bad move. Now that said, I do see after, you know, this year being the very last year, before you need to do a serious retooling, uh, reshuffling, rebuild, however you want to term it, uh, do it on the fly or do it, do it, you know, dramatically, uh, you know, I, I, that's got to happen next year too. So with that in mind, though, I'm the first to say, I think you could have the same team almost coming back next year, but I would put an exception in there and say Lindholm, maybe even Hannafin, maybe even Backlund, if they don't commit to you this summer and say we're serious about wanting to extend here, then I think they've got to have serious talks about moving those guys right away. Yeah, I was going to start with Lindholm. I was going to ask you because Backlund and Lindholm in particular on media exit interviews were very non-committal about their long-term oh, they, they future they with the Calgary mind. Flames. Do you think they it's changed mind. for all those pending unrestricted free agents? Backlund, Lindholm, Hannafin, uh, Chris Tanev. Nikita Zadorov, I think I'm missing Tyler DeFoley in there. Do you think anything's changed now that there's going to be a new head coach? Nope. Nope. I hear this talk that people have rescinded trade uh, trade requests, and I'm not really sure I buy that. Um, I thought Pat reminded us, you know, on Monday when we were talking about it, that one of the the, the sentence that Backlund said was, "I just want to see what they what they do. I want to see what they do." That's mm-hmm. exactly what he said. He wants to see what the Flames do. Okay. So, yes, everybody can breathe a little easier, and there's a little more of a possibility anybody would be maybe open to coming back now that Sutter's gone. However, you've still got an organization that's right on the precipice of a rebuild, no question about it. And you've got a situation where those – here's another thing that I'm not sure people are aware of, and I, I've written this a couple of times, but those players have spoken openly in that room. The dialogue is open. Everybody knows that there's a mass exodus this, next year. Now, again, that's with Sutter at the helm. But and maybe that you're asking if that's changed. That'll be a fascinating part of this. But it's got to change quickly because this new GM's got to get an answer right quick this summer mm-hmm. as to if whether these guys and they can't be wishy-washy. They can't be like, well, let's just see it. No, it's got to be. Can we start talking numbers or not? And if they say no, we can't talk numbers or the numbers aren't even close. Then you move yeah. on. I think you have to. Yeah, you certainly have to do it before the draft because the draft's one of the major events that happens in the offseason where you're able to easier, it's easier to move contracts, it's easier to make hockey trades just because of the fact that you can go 10% over the cap, you can start negotiations um, with players. Like you, you find out a lot about what you have in your players, but you also find out a lot in and around that time when you're talking to other teams about what's the return if I put this guy on the table. For sure, and... and- you wait till the end of the summer. Well, by then everybody's got, they've already made significant moves after July 1st and, 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 and cap space becomes at a premium and 
You're right. This is the time to do it if you're going to move them now. Again, it's hard to say you can have your cake and eat it too. If I sit here and say I think they can bring back a similar team and compete next year, yet I'm also saying that I think that you're probably going to have to trade Elias Lindholm. Uh, it, it does, they don't seem to jive with one another, right? I mean, that's your best forward, your most consistent forward. Mm-hmm. You're probably most your most valuable forward and the one that you can get the most value for on the trade market. So it's a real tough decision. Uh, I think this organization, though, the mantra has always been win now. This ownership group, Murray Edwards, they always want to win now. And I don't see that changing this summer. So, again, I won't be surprised if they go into next season with Lindholm on the roster and they would probably be thinking, okay, well, if we get up to a bad start or the season goes sideways, then it's easier to trade them. But what happens if what happens two years ago with Johnny Gaudreau? The team is leading the division. They win the division. Johnny Gaudreau is on the best line in hockey. He's a Hart Trophy candidate. You can't trade him then. No chance. So then you let Lindholm walk into free agency, and we're in the same situation this organization's been in for 30 years, right? So it's such an interesting quandary, and that's why a new set of eyes and a new kind of mindset, you know, a new architect is going to be so interesting as as the new guys introduced. Yeah, and because how many of the how many of the pending unrestricted free agents would you guys be comfortable going into this season having unsigned? Like how many of? Because uh, I don't know. I guess we can count Shillington in there. So there's seven. How yeah. many of those seven are you comfortable going into the uh, going into the coming season with, knowing that they could be gone at the end of the year? Because you know that that if all of a sudden you're you're talking about five or six of those guys without contract extensions, like we could be talking about a very fascinating lead up to next year's trade deadline. Well, to me, the two that have have a chance at staying are Zadorov and Toffoli, and you know they didn't hide that at all. They've, they've had some, you know, career-resurrecting numbers over the last couple of years under Daryl Sutter. Now, Sutter's gone, and maybe maybe their attitudes have changed too. But I would see, at best, you're going to keep three three of the seven. Uh, at, at best, it would, would even think about signing here. And so I don't, I'm certainly not in favor of trading all four. I don't think you need to do something that drastic. Um, but I think you, you certainly have to consider trading at least one or two of them uh, to get top value. The other ones you could trade at the deadline uh, or potentially lose. I don't know, but I don't know. I, that's Those are the numbers I'm looking at. Okay. For me, I'm not worried about the situation with Oliver Shillington. He's been away for a year. It's He, he needs to work his way back into being the defenseman that he was before I, I start to worry. The only two I really look at going, I need a definitive answer now is Elias Lindholm because, again, you can't get into that situation, as you mentioned, about you know Johnny Gaudreau was on the top line in hockey and was having a career year on his way to 115 points, your first in the Pacific Division. That's a no-trade situation because your chips are all in. Uh, the other one would be Noah Hannafin for me. Guys like Michael Backlund, Tyler Toffoli, Chris Tanev, I think you can figure out what's going on in season with them, and it depends on how your own season goes collectively as a team. Because I think the returns for those types of players in and around the trade deadline is pretty similar to what it'll be in the summer. If not, maybe even a little bit more where a lot of their cap hits have been eaten up by just the course of the regular season schedule. So the two the two that I'm most concerned about finding out, are you in or are you out, would be Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin. And then I evaluate what I can get for them. And if there's a situation where there's only futures trades to be had, maybe you look at those futures trades, but then you take those assets 
and see if you can go about replacing them with NHLers as opposed to waiting to recoup the benefit through developing those draft picks or those prospects. Yeah, fair. And they're also older too, right? Uh, you know, those, those three guys that you were talking about at the end there, they're all older. And I know that the pension in this city, especially knowing that they're one year away from having to do some sort of rebuild, um, you know, extending those guys for three or four years, I'm not sure the appetite's there with the fan base. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot, I guess. But, uh, you know, you've already got some aging contracts there that everybody's talking about. You're going to add three more? Uh, I don't know. And to me, you trade a guy like Tanev, like a top pairing, or call him a top three on most teams in the National Hockey League. Like, you trade him at the deadline, I'm pretty sure you get a pretty sweet return. Yeah. Uh, Same with, you know, uh, you know, same with Toffoli if he has a good season. Uh, you know, same with Backland. God, I mean, these are the guys that I think, you know, I think you get a good return. So I, I, I think that's well put, uh, Bixie, for sure. Last, uh, last point, just on the Lindholm front, because I'm exactly where you are. If you're not getting the sense that you're making progress or they're not willing to talk numbers or they're kind of saying, eh, we'll see, we'll see. Like, if you're not getting the type of answers you want and need from the Lindholm camp, then I think you have to be ready to make a trade. And a, a text comes in as we're talking says, question for you guys, what could they get for Lindholm? Like, I think, deadline or not, but especially in the summertime when you could have 31 other teams interested in him, he's got a contract that has one year left on it, so you get a full year at less than $5 million, so you're not going to have to stress that much to fit him under the cap. We know that he is a Selkie Trophy-type player. We know that he is capable of getting you between 70 and 80 points on a regular basis. He's a number one center on some teams. He'd be a dynamite number two on other teams. What could you get for Lindholm if they ended up moving him? And I think priority number one is signing him. That is the far more desirable option. But if that is not looking realistic, what could you get for him in a trade? Yeah, there's... The other thing I just want to add before I answer that is like, what what's the upside for any player to sign a year before their contract is up? Now, again, a guy like Tefoli just come off a, a career year. Yeah, him. I would sign if I was him too, after the numbers he just put up. If I was Jonathan Huberto last year, I would sign in a heartbeat after the numbers he just put up. You can't blame these guys for signing uh, when their stock is as high as it's it, it's ever been. Right. But, and, and Lindholm's not there. He was his stock was as high as it's ever been, like probably last year, obviously when he had his career year. But I, so I don't I don't see how there's any chance that the Flames would be able to produce any sort of numbers that would make this guy go, yeah, I should jump on those right now. Like there's just zero zero scenario. Like I, I don't think it's possible for Lindholm to be signed here. Like just no chance in under any scenario. So the the return is a one one and one like a first round draft pick. Uh, a, a top six forward and a top prospect. That's that's what I always look at for a star star player. Is it, is that too much? Is he not? You know, he's always been kind of underappreciated around the league. Maybe we overappreciate him here in Calgary. I gotta believe you factor in not just the upside, like a forty goal scorer, uh, a great playmaker, a consistent guy, a leader, uh, but also factor in that price tag. Right? You get one year at him at well below league value and all that factors into me you at the bare minimum should get a first rounder a top six nhler right now and or maybe top nine 
and a top prospect. You guys see it any differently? Well, here's what I'd be looking for. Here's what I want to float by the both of you, and I want to get your opinion on this. Bo Horvat was dealt from Vancouver to the Islanders for Anthony Beauvillier prospect Atu Ratu. He's not quite a blue chipper, but he he was a second rounder. At one point, he was thought of as a top 10, top 15 pick in the draft and a conditional first rounder. So Horvat got that top six younger guy, a almost blue chip prospect and a first rounder. And that didn't come with an extension. An extension followed, but it didn't come with an extension. For me, I'm putting Elias Lindholm above Bo Horvat, but maybe I'm too close to it. No, I, th- I think it's comparable. Yeah, he's he's a he's a much better, bigger player. Like he's so much more than Horvat. Like, and and Horvat's a blue chipper. Don't get me wrong, and was having a great year. But I, uh, yeah, I think you're right. And especially this isn't a deadline deal uh, where you can only deal with X number of teams that are interested. This is a 31 teams have the option to take a real serious look at a a one one A one B centerman. And those guys are hard to find. Look, this organization yep. spent the last 30 years trying to find a top-line center until they finally found one in Lindholm, and now they're going to trade him. <laughs> or maybe they're going to trade him again. I don't know. I still do. Oh, it's just going to be the most – it's the most fascinating question of the offseason for sure to me, uh, uh, once, the, once the GM and the coach are hired, of course. Yeah. But personnel-wise, it's by far the number one issue, whether they act on it or not it's still going to be the number one talking point going into next season. Well, then also you can just layer on the fact that maybe you can do a sign-and-trade as well if you need that extra year. If he's going to a destination he's willing to go to, pull off the second straight sign-and-trade move, and then I imagine the value goes up even more from there. And would not be a coup for the Flames for sure, right? So it's... uh... Okay, maybe there's a discussion for another day because I know we got to probably run here. But I want to get... Let's do this next week. Uh, you just been hired as the GM. Obviously, top of your list is to hire a coach. As soon as that's done, I want your top five list of things you've got to attack. Okay. You know, you know, like I think there's your homework assignment, and because because I'm fascinated by it as well. I, I mean, I, to me, I just alluded to it. To me, it's Lindholm right at the very top. But I'm interested to see what you guys think is number two, three, four, five because there are so many things you could bring into it. If you want to change the goaltending situation, is that something you, you say, God, we got to get this wolf in this somewhere, somewhere in this lineup. Uh, you know, the, anyway, I'll leave it there. I won't give you any more tips or hints, but what I'm thinking, but uh, uh, that'll be an interesting discussion. I think. Yeah. We'll do that next week. Uh, for now, be well, uh, good stuff, franchise. We will uh, talk to you again next week. Cheers, boys. Have a great weekend. You too, pal. Eric Francis Fridays, funny enough, on this Friday edition of Flames Talk. And, you know, Mick texted, did you steal it from Mick, the Horkoff one? Or did you have that one? No, sorry. The, uh, no, the, I didn't. The I actually one? hadn't been flipping over back to the text line. I just went, I think Elias Lindholm's better than Horvat. Well, Here's reason, what Horvat got. The reason why, because Horvat had been on the trade block all year, and when he signed his deal with the Islanders, and when there were contract extensions, go, extension conversations going on with Horvat in Vancouver, he was the first guy that came to mind for me was Lindholm and what his next contract ends up looking like. So I think that there are comparables on the dollar figure that Horvat, Horvat ended up getting with the Islanders. And I also think there's comparable in terms of the package that he brought back in a trade. And and I'm with Eric when he says that, you know, in this, I, I think in the summertime you get more for a player like Lindholm yep. because you're getting a full year at under $5 million for him. So 
I think you could probably better the deal that you got back or the, the deal that Vancouver got back. And then also don't trade that first round pick that you get back immediately. No, don't flip it over to for Detroit Hronick. for Hronick. Um And Horvat signed, uh, what was it? A eight and a half times what? He signed a eight year, eight and a half. So he went eight times uh, eight and a half at $68 million total. And that's probably what you're looking at value-wise for Lindholm if you keep him. If you can't get him to commit to that, then and you want to avoid losing him for nothing because he is the one guy that I really... Him and Hannafin are the two guys, I guess, that I yeah. think that you really need to worry about not losing for nothing. I don't mind if Tanev leaves an unrestricted free agency as a veteran. You signed him an unrestricted free agency on a four-year deal. He gave you four great years. And if it doesn't work out with Michael Backlund, you got 900-plus games out of a draft pick and one of the most tenured players in franchise history. I don't mind that as much, but when you're talking about Hannafin and Lindholm, guys in the prime of their careers, I think it would be an organizational misstep if you let either one of them walk in unrestricted free agency. To me, the only options are trade or sign. And so that's why with Lindholm, I think the Horvat conversation is a fair one. Is that influenced by the fact that you got no return for Johnny Goudreau the summer before he left? Because I can see that being a hard and fast rule for the Calgary Flames organization. You can't go down the same road you went with Johnny Goudreau, regardless of what it reaped you again. Uh, Career year for Johnny Goudreau, second best regular season in franchise history. I believe that is factually correct. I'm looking at you Points to fact wise, check it. Yes. Yep. But you put yourself in a situation where you lost your arguably most valuable asset, and others might argue that it was Matthew Kachuk, but you lost either your 1A or your 1B top asset mm -hmm. for nothing. You can't go down that road with Elias Lindholm now, who is probably your number one asset as it stands today. Uh, that's our Eric Francis Friday conversation. And Eric joins us inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Calgary's is the only family of products curated for the taste of Calgarians. And you'll only find them at Calgary Co-op. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Steinberg and Vickers along with you. And, you know, all week we've wanted to talk a little bit about how to construct the fourth line going forward. But some of our conversations have gone long. And, um, you know, we've had some Too news. Too much fun. Lots of fun being had for sure. But, and I wanted to get into this on Thursday's show when we were talking about the potential ways of creating cap space. And one of the, and this is not a shot at anybody, but, you know, not having a lot of money tied up in your fourth line going forward is a, a way to save cap space going forward. And, and, you know, Milan Lucic was a fan favorite in this city. And I think that he did his job as well as you could have asked him to in his time here. You know, he played his heart out and he was dedicated and all of that type of stuff. But at $5.25 million against your cap, like he was counting, 
having him be your fourth line left winger, which is mostly where he was slotted, not ideal. So Milan Lucic, a pending unrestricted free agent, Trevor Lewis, a pending unrestricted free agent. And on both fronts, I think moving on is probably the way to go. And that's not a knock on either guy because we just talked about Milan. I was a huge Lewis fan and his two for, for what he was asked to do in kind of a fourth line, even strength role, penalty killing role, playing 10 to 12 minutes a night or whatever he would play. I think he did a good job. He was strong defensively and you knew what you were going to get from him night in, night out. He got all 82 games in this season, contributed a little bit offensively, thought he was a real important player in a small way for them, especially in the Dallas series last year. So, but I, I still think it's time to move on from both guys because I think younger and more inexpensive is the way to go on the fourth line going forward, starting with Walker Dewar is a, permanent fixture on the right side, but I think that there are plenty of ways that you can be younger, maybe a little faster, a little more modern on your fourth line going forward. The average age of Calgary Flames forwards, 28.9. That is an old group, and it is highlighted by the fact that Milan Lucic is 34, Trevor Lewis is 36, Brett Ritchie, who spent a lot of time on that fourth line right wing before being moved to the Arizona Coyotes, is 29. So Brett Ritchie's the young spring chicken of that trio. It's time to get younger, and you need to create cap space. You need to find entry-level deals. You need to find discounted contracts. And it's just from a mathematical standpoint, you need those entry-level contracts to graduate from your... American Hockey League affiliate or your prospect pool and jump in and contribute at the NHL level. It's just simple mathematics for a team that's not going to really be able to make a splash in free agency simply because they don't have the room to do so. One of the ways to create maybe a little bit of flexibility is in that fourth line and it is to go younger. And I've made, I don't even know if it's a joke. I made the comment several times, both on air, off air, where it really felt like down the stretch that Calgary Flames fifth line with Jacob Peltier, with Adam Rzichka, with at points Walker Dewar. I mean, that is something I feel like you could promote to your fourth line. Get some youth, get some speed. Certainly elements of that line has tenacity and forecheck and pace and just energy and convert this former fourth line whose average age was somewhere around 33. Bring in a guy that's 21, bring in a guy that's 26, bring in a guy that's 24 and let them have at it. I understand the hesitation from Daryl Sutter in that you're in a playoff chase and every point matters and down the stretch and you're going to go with guys you've won with before, guys you trust. But I really think moving forward, the Calgary Flames have to get younger, have to get faster. And the way to do that is with quote unquote, the kids. Well, And I think that there is, I don't think the fourth line of a hockey team needs to be what it was the last two seasons under Daryl Sutter, where he constructed it as a veteran crash and bang physical uh, and, and grinding type line. And to me, that is an outdated archetype in the NHL. I don't think that, 
you need to build the fourth line like that going forward. I think the way the league has gone, you want to have four lines that can go out and win shifts and can go out and, yep. and fourth line versus fourth line or, or bottom six versus bottom six. You want that. So for if, if we're averaging, say that we're averaging 10 minutes per night for a fourth line at five on five and, and give or take a minute here, there, depending on how the, the night goes, but you're 10 minutes a night. You want them to go out and consistently win their shifts. And by doing that, you're going to get some offense out of your fourth line. And so I think you're not looking for, at least in my opinion, I don't think you need an identity on each of your lines. I don't think you need a fourth line that is only about physicality and you have, you know, big guys who go out and lay hits and drop gloves. Like to me, that's outdated. To me, I go take a look at Dallas's fourth line. It's Radic Foxa, Luke Glendening, and Ty Delandria. They play about 10 minutes a night. They go out there. They play with some speed. Uh, they're strong defensively, and you can count on them to go out there and win their shifts. You can count on them to go out there, and if you need to, you're not feeling super apprehensive about them going out against another team's top six line. And and it's not just it's not just Dallas. I take a look at Carolina. They're not as young, but Paul Stastny, Yesapul Yarvi, and Derek Stepan is their fourth line right now. That's not a line that has the identity of crash and bang. Um, the the fourth line in Vegas is definitely a little bit more physical, but they're also effective. You get a ton of mileage out of Nick Waugh, Will Carrier, Carrier and, and Keegan Colasar. That line goes out there and wins shifts. And yes, their identity is a little bit more physical, but to me, that's not just what makes them effective. So I guess what I'm saying is, I think there is a lot to be said about just going, construct a good, good line. Don't worry about how big the left wing or the right wing guy is. Don't worry about the identity of the line. Just make a good line that you can count on for 10 minutes a night. So if that means Jacob Pelche is on the left side of a fourth line because maybe it's shown that he's not ready to be a full-time top nine guy, so be it. I'm not suggesting that's the way it will go. I'm just saying that's the way it could go. I don't think you need to, throughout all of the year, we would say something like, well, is Adam Rizicka a fourth line center? Under Daryl Sutter, I understand why we said that. But under a new head coach, who's to say Adam Rizicka couldn't be a fourth-line center? Who's to say he couldn't be a guy who's effective over 11 minutes with Walker Dewar and somebody else on his left? So I, I just I think we need to change the way we think about it. And now that there has been a, a coaching change, I think it allows us to maybe change the way we think about it. This is just my thought, and if you disagree, feel free to roast me at 960-960, but... Whenever Lucic, Lewis, Richie hopped over their boards, their job wasn't to go win that shift. Their job was to not lose the shift. And I think that now you have the opportunity, new head coach, maybe some rejuvenation in some of your younger players being actually afforded an opportunity. If they are, we'll still see how it all plays out and you have to earn that spot. But if you can roll out a younger fourth line that has more speed, more tenacity, and a little bit of skill, I think you're better off. And the other thing that you can do with it is, if Andrew Mangiapane has an off night, if Dylan Dubé has an off night, if Michael Backlund has an off who doesn't matter, anybody in the top nine, well, suddenly you still have some skill on that fourth line, and it makes your job so much easier rotating somebody in that's going and somebody out that isn't. It just allows for in-game adjustments a whole lot more if you trust guys on your fourth line 
to not only just go crash and bang, but can provide some skill as well. Gives you a lot of flexibility with your in-game roster. And again, like, and maybe it's made up of guys who are internal. I think again, you've got a, a permanent right right side fixture in Walker Dewar on your fourth line going forward. Um, maybe like, I still think there is something to mine there with Ruzicka. I do. And oh yeah, we I saw think- it. We saw it at times, which has been the knock on him his entire career. You see it at times, not all the time. But there's certainly something there in him. And maybe it maybe it doesn't end up coming to fruition. I don't know. But I think the at the very least, you need to give it another try with him. So I just I think changing the way you think about or or the way the Flames have thought about rather their fourth line. Again, what's the most effective fourth line they've had in recent memory? Derek Ryan, Andrew Mangiapani guarded half the way. Yeah. That was a fourth line that went out there in one shift. That was and you had a Scoring threat in Manjapani. You had just a damn smart player who very rarely made mistakes in Derek Ryan. And you had a really, and then you had a little bit of a physical edge with Hathaway. But again, these guys went out there and they won shifts. Tenacious. They, they were tenacious. They moved the play north. They spent more time on the attack than at the other end. They chipped in a little bit offensively. That's what a fourth line is today. That's what winning teams produce with their fourth lines nowadays. And so. That's what I think the Flames should be looking to recreate going into next season. Um, again, uh, Toronto, I know they're down 0-2 to Florida, but it's Camp, Kerfoot, and Lafferty as their fourth line. Um, I'm just taking a look at the teams that are still playing in the playoffs and how they go about making their fourth line. So it's not about just driving into the boards and wearing you down. It's about winning the matchup on a more regular basis. And I think that the fourth line this past year struggled a little bit in doing that. To me, they're 66% of the way to that fourth line. You want to talk about the most effective fourth line in recent memory. You said it. Mangiapane, Ryan Hathaway. Jacob Peltier can be Andrew Mangiapane. Garnet Hathaway, Walker Dewar. A lot of similarities, a lot of comparisons there. A ton. And to a degree, and you're probably going to say no, I wouldn't hate bringing back Trevor Lewis as as a thirteen as a, well as a four C or a thirteenth four because he can play center, he can play right wing. I think he touched on a little bit of left wing at times. Yeah, he can but play all three. Of the and I'm positions. not saying he's the Derek Ryan of that trio, but you know I'm secretly also the president of the Trevor Lewis fan club, and I like what he brought, and he touches the penalty kill and yada yada yada. But my intention in bringing him back would be. We're going to start you as 13 and see kind of what happens. What about Rooney? I mean, well, he's going to get he's, a fresh start under a new coach. forgotten man, and it didn't work under Daryl. What if you go Rooney? And and, and again, we're, we're writing off Pelche as, as being a top nine guy. Maybe Pelche is a top nine guy. Who knows? And yep. I think we saw him play well in a top nine role, so could very well be the case. But what if it's Rooney, Pelche, Dewar, to start the year as your fourth line. Maybe Coronado has a great camp and he's in your top nine. Now all of a sudden you're talking about things slotting pretty nicely and you've got a fourth line that you're comfortable playing as opposed to eight minutes a night. Maybe it's 11 minutes a night or something like that. And again, I'm not trying to shortchange Pelche. Maybe Pelche is playing with Backlund next year. I don't know. But I'm just saying you have possibilities. and uh, Or maybe it's Matthew Phillips. I just... I, there yep. are... There are different ways that you can go about thinking about it now, is all I'm saying. Well, certainly the uh, box is open in terms of what you can explore because 
we wouldn't be having this conversation under the former head coach because that line is pretty much set. And it was probably one of the most consistent lines, lines in terms of percentage played together all season long. But suddenly, Richie's not here. Lucic and Lewis are both unrestricted free agents. It really gives you the opportunity to explore what that fourth line could be. And I, again, I don't want to limit Jacob Pelche to be in the fourth line. But hey, Andrew Mangiapane graduated from fourth line to third line to second line. Scored yep. 35 goals. Yep. Didn't get there this year, but I think we can agree he's somewhere in the neighborhood of around 25 to 30. If Jacob Pelche follows that progression, I mean, you're pretty happy. Let's read some text at 960-960. I think with Daryl gone, Pat, there's a very good chance they move on from Lewis. My impression from his exit interview with the media is that Lucic would prefer to move on. And I I think more likely than not, they they do move on from both, but we'll see. And again, I'm a big Trevor Lewis guy too. And I don't, I think Labardius is the president of the Lewis fan club, so you can be VP. Uh, Do you want to be like AGMs of the fan club? Is that that a thing? I'll be part of it. Okay. I'll be part of it. Special advisor? Sure. Because I was a big fan. I thought he had a really nice season uh, and did a lot of good things for him. This says um, you just can't have 4 million-plus guys on your fourth line. No disrespect to Stajan, Lucic, Brower, but it doesn't work in the cap world. Ruzichka, Dewar, and maybe Dubay's your fourth line. I don't. I'll, I'll, I think Dubay's clearly in yeah. your top six, needs to be in your top six next year, so I wouldn't go the Dubay route. However, he says when as soon as I popped Rooney into the conversation. He went, no, Rooney instead. I think Rooney, Pelche Dewar, Rooney, Rizichka Dewar, something like that, you could have a very fine fourth line if you're the Flames. Great stuff on the text line at 960-960. Steinberg and Vickers starting to wrap up this hour. Thanks to Eric Francis for joining us on Francis Fridays. Taylor and Cam are producers. Aaron Vickers is on Twitter at AA Vickers. And this hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key-to-like system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.